Peace, grace, this is Pastor Colton Lott from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, El Reno. We have the privilege of building Christian community in El Reno for the world. And so if you care about building Christian community or El Reno or the world, we're glad you're listening to this podcast. If you want to help contribute to the gospel work of this congregation, please visit our website, fcclreno.org, and go to the Give Online tab. And now, here's the sermon for the week. A reading from Genesis 2b, or 2, 4b, 7. Please, Please open your heart to hear what God is saying today. This account of the heavens and earth when they were created, when when Lord God made the earth and heaven. No, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and, was, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth, and watered the whole surface ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became living being. Words of God, the people of God, thanks to be God. Today's second scripture reading comes from Genesis 1. 26 to 31, I invite you to follow along with me on the screen or in your Bibles or even just by listening deeply. Hear now these words. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in His image. In the image of God, He created the male and female. He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made and indeed... It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. May God add blessings to the readings of these words in every time and in every place. Would you join me in prayer? Holy God, may these words of old speak like new today. May they fill us and inspire us with good news and joy and power. 
so that we are the image of God to everyone we meet this day and always. Amen. I have a confession to make. I am not a particularly good gardener. When I used to preach in seminary and churches wanted a short little bio, I would put that I am a fountain pen fan, a black tea aficionado, and a fair weather gardener. But the reality is that I'm not even that good. I envy and crave what so many of you have, like Shelton's vegetable patch, Sandra's design, or Robin's perfectly green thumb. A few weeks ago, we had family friends of ours stay with us for a night as they were traveling through on I-40, as they were off to visit their family. My friend, who is a professor at Eureka, her name's Doc, is a big gardener. And over the summer, she probably works an acre of land so that she can can food and enjoy the fruit of the earth that she has grown all year long. Now, if you've been to my house, you'll know that over the kitchen sink, we have a nice big window, and that big window looks out on a little sliver of land between the patio and the back fence. And it's in that little sliver of land that we plant our vegetable patch. Now, I was nervous for Doc to come and visit because she enjoys cooking and I enjoy cooking, and inevitably we'd be working in the kitchen together or cleaning the dishes that we had dirtied, and she would inevitably look through that big window into my backyard, into my sliver of, well, weeds. <laughs> With a tomato plant yelling out from the middle, I'm here, I'm here! It's bad, friends. After I went to church camp in June, I gave up. As Mimi will tell you, the heat is too strong for her anymore, and she is retired. She has done all that when she was young. I say this with some amount of shame. I wanted to have a nice little place with some squash and lettuce and onions. And although I don't really care for them very much, Mimi and Papa love the peppers and tomatoes and cucumbers of your standard vegetable patch. So we try to grow those too. But this year was the worst I have ever done. It was grass to your knees. Now, inevitably, as it happened, Doc and I ended up in the kitchen together. We ended up cooking. We ended up doing dishes. And she looked out. And I did my weird little apology. And she was unbothered. Doesn't really matter, she said. The big part was not that the garden was successful. But you have to keep trying to grow something out there. You just have to keep trying. Now, I've thought about what my friend told me, that the point isn't necessarily to grow a lot of food, but that I try to tend plants and try to grow something out there in the sliver. That even though I'm not a very good gardener, I need to be a persistent one. And that even though this has been a tough summer for uh, vegetables in my house, and Mimi and I have already decided that next year we're not doing it. We're just letting it go. That's not going to be part of our life anymore. Inevitably, we will be back at Ross's for the plant sale, and we will indeed we'll pick up a flat of tomatoes and try again. I think about this wisdom of trying to garden isn't just helpful advice that we have to try, but perhaps it is vital instructions for living. 
I'm beginning to believe that the entire point of life is that we try to garden. Now, that's a pretty big claim to make, that the point of life is that we try to garden. And so, to guide you through this bold claim, we are going to visit some scripture. Today's scriptures are both from Genesis. Mason read from us from Genesis 2. I read from the continuing on of our creation poem that we find in Genesis 1. Now, before I go further, this church has many active members And there are even more ways than members between us of how we read the Bible. My goal is seldom to tell you what the Bible says, and rather I'm trying to give you tools for how you can read the Bible and enjoy it every day of your life. So this next section is one of those toolkit moments. And toolkit moments are kind of like when you eat fish. Eat the meat that works for you and throw out the bones and the stuff that doesn't. So one of the things that I've learned in the last decade, the surprising things that I've learned, is that according to the best biblical scholars, there is not one but two unique stories of creation in Genesis. The first story is the seven-day creation poem that runs from Genesis 1-1 through 2-4-A. But there's a second story. And that second story begins and ends where, or begins with what Mason read for us this morning. If you are a steadfast reader of the Bible, or if you've done what I've done several times and decided I'm going to read through the Bible cover to cover, then you've read Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 quite a bit in your life. And you might notice that some of the writing style is a little different. The first reads like kind of like a poem. It has a meter and a rhyme, a rhythm, a repetition. The second, though, reads like a story, a script, a, a play even. And if you're really detail-oriented, like I know some of you are, then you might have been reading along and noticed that the order of some of the parts of creation in chapter 2 is a little different than the order in chapter 1. And it's because they are. You're not crazy. These two accounts sit side by side, and so we often read it straight through. But scholarship has helped me, at least, to know that there is a different way we can explain these differences with a very simple explanation. These were two stories that were later joined together in a book that we now call Genesis. And our Jewish ancestors in faith told them both and they stuck them both together in the beginning of their book of teaching, the Torah. Because it makes sense. They're stories about the beginning. But they're teaching us different things. The creation poem of Genesis 1 is so important. And indeed, we've been working through it for several days now. Not necessarily important because it's telling us something deep about science or history, but because it is making vital claims about what the world is like with God. First, that it is creation. And second, that it is ordered. And third, that it is good. In the case of human beings like ourselves, we are first created And especially, we are created in the image of God. Second, that we are part of God's ordered creation. That we have dominion over that creation. A special place of leadership and care. And third, that God calls us not just good, but very good. And the story about creation that we find in Genesis 2 is so important 
Not because it is telling us so much claims, deep claims about science or history, but because it is making vital claims about what human beings are like with God. That they are made from God's own breath. That we were created because, as Genesis 2.5 notes, there was no one to till the ground. In the famous words of Paul Harvey, so God made a farmer. And when these stories are read together, they remind me of a twin charge. Not just one, but two. From Genesis 1, we are called to have dominion over the earth. Not so that we can be violent, but so that we can care and tend. Because from Genesis 2, we receive the call that we are to till the ground, work the soil, love the earth. Put another way, we are called to be gardeners. We are in the next to last week of our worship series, Creation Speaks. And we've been wondering how we find God in nature, how we discover the creator through the creation. We have considered along the way how we are invited by light, how we are refreshed by water, how we are shaped like earth, how we are moved through seasons, how we have kinship with animals. And today we raise the stakes highest as they have been. What is the purpose of humanity? What does creation have to tell us about the meaning of life itself? Which, to be most honest, I think is one of the hardest questions in the world. Because life so often doesn't seem to have purpose. It just seems to be hard or meaningless for so much of us for so many of the times. And so we try to find meaning where we can. In our families, in our jobs. We put our stock in money or in sex. We try to find our, our calling in physical fitness or in pleasure and we certainly try to find meaning by seeking glory. And certainly it is true that life is hard. You know, I realize as I'm about to say this that I pretty much won the lottery in terms of like where and how I got born. I was born into the richest country in the world, perhaps the richest in history. I never went to bed hungry. I've never known life without air conditioning. My goodness, can you imagine? I never fought in war. I mean, for goodness sakes, I'm a straight white man in ministry. I've never had my calling seriously questioned or scrutinized. And I had lots of options when I was seeking a call three and a half years ago. Still grateful that it was here, surprisingly, unbelievably here that I got to be and to live. All of that is true. And I still find that sometimes life is hard for me too. Between griefs and losses, family disappointments, making ends meet, trying to be a good person, a, a very good person, a very good pastor, a very good son, a very good grandson, a very good significant other, it just seems so impossible all the time, so often. And I say this not because I need a pity party, but because I'm admitting this because I hear you all admit this too. In moments... In private and phone calls, I know that so many of us have the shoulds 
that we should have figured it out, that it should be easy for us, that we should not complain. But me, oh my, life should be easy, but it is not. Creation tells us something different, though. It tells us not that we have to be very good workers and very good husbands and very good wives and very good people, although that's good. But what it commands us first and foremost is that we garden. Which is simply another way of saying, I think, we have to care. Because as my friend Doc told me, the point isn't that I have a great garden in my backyard. It's that I try to grow something. That we try, that we participate, that we are engaged with the world. The point of life, I think, the purpose of humanity, perhaps, is that we fulfill that call of Genesis 1 by taking responsibility for the earth as human beings, that grand finale to God's creation. The point of life, the purpose of humanity, just might be that we fulfill the call of Genesis 2 in tending and tilling, of working with the dirt, with the creation, that we care. And in the process, we just might make something beautiful happen. Because God called us very good. Not because we were very good workers and not because we are very good children. God called us very good and not because we are very good parents or siblings or neighbors. Not even because we are good at gardening. God called us good because we were created to be God's children. Made in God's image. God called us very good because even in the midst of a good creation, we stand out. We don't have to earn our very good, friends. But in response, all we have to do is care. When I say that the point of life is to be a gardener, I do not mean that you need to have a green thumb or drive a tractor or even plant a seed. What I mean to say is that we are called to do that work of gardening, which is to say that work that looks like tending, of encouraging, of emphasizing, of uplifting, that work of checking and waiting, that work of leaving it up to holy mystery, the work of, in a word, caring. And so with that understanding, almost anything can be a garden. Raising children, running a business, making a home, tending to good friendships. When I say that we must garden, what I mean is we have to care and that we will try. That's the starting point. That is the point, perhaps. Because no matter the horrors or difficulties that come our way in life, we hold on to that good news that we are God's very good creation Good news which cannot be taken away from us. Never, ever, ever. We are always God's very good creation. And so as that very good creation, we respond with care. Care as we try and work the garden. Care as we try and be good parents and children and siblings and neighbors. Care as we try to simply enjoy God's beautiful world. And as we can, help it to be more beautiful. We could do and be many things, my friends. Let's choose to be gardeners instead.
Amen. God, for the calling to which you have called us, to care for the earth, to till it, to care. We give thanks this day and we ask for your encouragement and your strength so that we can answer your call and join the chorus and try. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This sermon podcast is a ministry of First Christian Church, El Reno, Oklahoma. It is preached about 85% of the time by senior minister Colton Lott, about 10% of the time by associate minister Tara Dew, and about 5% of the time from a beloved guest. If you check the math and we're wrong, don't worry about it. This podcast is produced by communications coordinator Rachel Carlson, and the instrumentalization you hear is by Chris Prather, our bell choir director, percussionist, and composer in residence. Christian community is made up by the individuals who show up each week, and so while this has been preached and produced by some, it is the work of many. So whether you show up with your body or with your enthusiasm, with your dollars, with your prayers, or your love, thank you for making the body of Christ real and felt and known. Go and be a blessing this day and always, friends. Amen.